Welcome to the Pet Grooming Business Podcast with me, Bill Betts, where we give practical business advice to help you grow your pet grooming business. This podcast is sponsored by LowPay, the low-rate payment app that gives you more. So without further ado, let's get going. Excellent. Welcome, everyone. We are live. This is uh, kind of my my interpretation of lunch and learn, where uh, whilst you're having lunch, not that a lot of you get to have lunch being dog groomers, but uh, at least we're here for you to listen into and uh, inspire you and uh, and doing some learning. So I'm, I'm privileged to uh, be joined today by Sebastian Bates. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Bill. It's great to be invited on to speak to your incredible community. Yeah, thank you. And uh, just so people don't People may not have heard of you, or uh, um, you're coming from, live from Dubai, which is amazing. Live from the desert, yeah, from the heat. <laughs> you know, there's so many, you know, um, the internet, and uh, I, I can't blame COVID with, like, the introduction of Zoom and stuff. It's made everything so much more accessible, hasn't it? Yeah, 100%, yeah. Be you wouldn't be here today, for sure. No, be able to network. So maybe um, perhaps you can tell the audience a little bit about yourself, who you are and uh, and what you do. Yeah, sure. So my name is Sebastian Bates. I am a father of two living here in Dubai. Um, for the last almost 15 years, um, since the age of 19, I've been running my own businesses. Uh, my initial business is the one that I've really doubled down on and really focused on over the last 15 years. And that's within martial arts, specifically within, within developing character in young people. So I, I really believe that martial arts and, and character development are very linked. And I believe that character development is the most important, you know, often missing aspect of a child's education. It influences every single decision they make. We've simplified that for parents. We really work on developing the three C's, confidence, conduct, concentration. Um, we're an award-winning organization. Uh, we operate across three continents now. It's going to be five by the end of this year. Um, we're in five different countries um, we have 4,000 students going through our program every single week. Um, and half of our students are on scholarship programs in developing countries. So homeless shelters, slums, and orphanages um, in Kenya and Nepal. And we're scaling that quite quickly at the moment. Um, most of our students are here in the UAE, as well as in the UK. Um, and we're launching in Doha over the summer. So that's what I'm up to. Uh, we're, we've got a, an incredible team over here, about 60 uh, employees. I've written two best-selling books about character development and anti-bullying. So that's pretty much who I am and what I do um, from a commercial side. From the charity side, um, I've really doubled down on philanthropy. So I've created the Bates Foundation, which is what we do all our scholarship programs through. So that's me, and that's what I get up to. That's awesome. And, and uh, you know, there's so many topics to pick out of that, isn't there? And, and have listened to your, your podcast, you run your own podcast, and also the Chief Aim podcast with uh, Jason Greystone. I was, I've been listening to them and thinking, right, I've got this talk coming up. What am I going to talk about? What are we going to discuss? And I, I just had to find a couple of topics, but there's so much to talk about. And one thing that I'd really love to bring you on uh, on another day is um, talking about bullying, because I think uh, a lot of us are parents ourselves. So that would be a great topic to talk about bullying with their children, but also bullying within industry and and bullying with uh, as adults as well. Yeah, but bullying is a, such a massive topic. Um and we've got a really alternative approach to bullying, really. I mean, I wrote the book, Not a Victim, and the whole concept of not a victim is around empowerment, right? Uh, the reason I wrote that book is because I've worked with over 100 schools in the UK and the UAE, and every time I went into schools, they were all saying, we're a bully-free school. And it was completely impossible to, to say that because bullying is just an ugly part of the human condition. 
And all we can do as parents is empower our children to overcome bullying on their own, to give them the tools to stand up to bullies because we can't always be there. Uh, but it was it was profound for me when I started writing the book uh, with my co-author Menno on this because we interviewed so many people who have incredibly successful lives. Jason, uh, Greystone, former um, uh, guest of yours on this podcast, and mm. um, you know they they attest a lot of the success that they have in their life to the bullying they went through as a child, and uh, we 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 misunderstand trauma and the benefit of trauma. I'm not saying we should go and seek it and that it's all beneficial because trauma can be devastating, but there is something called post-traumatic growth that a lot of children experience in particular when they go through bullying at a young age, providing them mentored in the right way. So I wrote that book to help basically, basically to help parents mentor their children to experience post-traumatic growth and have and reap the, reap the benefits of going through such a, a difficult transition in their lives. So fascinating topic. I'd, I'd be more than happy to, to rant on bullying for, for hours and hours with you on another on another episode, if you like. Yeah, yeah, we'll definitely put you in for another episode about that because there's also um, obviously bullying within ch- children, but there's also bullying within industries and there can be um, bullying within the in the pet grooming industry as well. So And bullying yeah. between business owners, yeah. right? Bullying, bullying from competitors to you and so on. Yeah, definitely. What's the book called again? The book's called Not a Victim. It's on audiobook as well, actually. So if, if you like to listen to audiobooks, people who are listening to podcasts probably like audiobooks. So not a victim. Excellent. So, uh, well, straight away is valued for, for our listeners straight away. Definitely going to go and download that book and have a listen to it. So, like I said, I've been listening to your podcast and, and doing some research and thought, what are we going to talk about? So I've picked um, your serial entrepreneur. So I thought we'd, we'd start off with the, the attributes of being an entrepreneur. And many people here listening to this live and, and the podcast may not actually feel like they're entrepreneurs. Yeah. How would you define what an entrepreneur is? Well, I, th- I think uh, entrepreneur is a bit of a buzzword, right? And entrepreneur, the word entrepreneur really comes down to two things, in my opinion. A, are you a problem solver? Are you solving problems for people? And B, are you taking risks? If you look up the definition of entrepreneur, it's typically along the lines of, you know, they're, they're, they're taking risk, typically financial risk um, in the pursuit of a commercial reward, right? So, I mean, black and white, are you solving problems for other people? And are you risking your time and your money, your effort in order to do so? If you're doing those two things, you're an entrepreneur, Right. Now, there are whole different levels of entrepreneurs. And, and I think I, did, I, I recently filmed a podcast with Jason about this. And I'm not sure if, we, if you listen to that, you might put you up being an entrepreneur for life. <laughs> it sounds like two old men just like, like moaning about entrepreneurship, maybe. But I think for a lot of people, it's glamorized by social media, right? I mean, I'm, I'm in Dubai where people see Dubai on social media and they, they come here uh, with a shovel, fly in to dig up some gold, right? And, and the reality is quite different. You know, the Instagram lifestyle is, is, is a facade for most people. Entrepreneurship, if you're really solving problems and taking risks, then for the majority of your life, you're in the trenches. And, you know, one of the things I said to, to Jason on this podcast was, you know, you're, you're, you're in the trenches, but you're, you're, you're loving your life. You're just loving it because you just, you just love the, the game, right? And I think, I think true entrepreneurs, there is, no, there is no kind of alternative, right? It's... And like I said, you've got different levels of entrepreneurship. You've got the unicorns out there like Bezos and, and Musk and, and so on. And they come up with incredible ideas, but they're also in the right place at the right time. You know, if, if, if Musk had come up with these ideas 500 years ago, you know, or he, he grew up in the slums of Nairobi, where the, some of the kids we work with are, 
there was just no way he'd get any cut through, right? So you can you can you can look at these unicorns and be like, they're something special. They are, but it's also the right place at the right time with the right idea. And um, there are certain traits and characteristics that entrepreneurs have where it's nurture and nature. Uh, a lot of people say to me, you know, are, are entrepreneurs made or born? I think it's both. I don't think that is a case of it's black and white like that. It's a gray area, like everything in life. Unfortunately, the answer is maybe or <laughs> not sure, right? The more, kind of the, the older and wiser you get, the more the more ignorant you realize you are. But um, but certainly with entrepreneurship, there are skills you can learn to become good at entrepreneurship. And then other people have like a, an innate level of risk-taking, right? Like if you look at my past, professional martial arts fighter, extreme sports athlete with over 500 wingsuit base jumps around the world. Like it, I was leaning towards the extreme risk-taking for a long time in my life until I had an accident where I, you know, damaged my legs and I couldn't walk for two years. And so then I threw myself into business. But being okay and having a, a kind of tolerance for risk is a huge attribute for entrepreneurship. That is typically nature, right? It's really hard for people, they can learn to take risks, but it's really hard for people to be like, I'm now a risk taker. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And it's um, and you, I mean, you, you see it all the time. People that you know, they're they're the way they process things and they do their due diligence and struggle so long to hit the red button after they've got all the information they need. And other people just rock up and they're like, everything looks all right here. Do you know what I mean? So um, so for me, there's a, there's a balance between the two. You might not feel like you're an entrepreneur, um, but maybe you just got a different perspective, and that's okay. You don't need to be an entrepreneur. And to run a good business, right? Yeah. And to run a to run a absolutely remarkable business, you need someone in the driving seat who's an incredible entrepreneur. There's no doubt about that. But to build a business that serves you, serves lots of customers, and gives you a great lifestyle, you can be a you can be a good entrepreneur who understands how to take some risk and has learned the skills of sales and entrepreneurship and managing people and so on, right? Does that all make sense? This podcast is sponsored by Lowpay. Lowpay is half the price of SumUp and Zettel, so you keep more of the money that you earn. Rates start at 0.79%. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Actually, from what you were saying, I can straight away sort of identify that I was not born an entrepreneur. Yeah. So um, when, I, when I was growing up, my parents had like the nine to five jobs, the Monday to Friday jobs, um, weren't really risky, risk takers, you know, mortgage, you know, yeah. the normal, and I, and I, found myself going into the police service thinking I want a stable income. I want, I don't want to be made redundant. I'd seen my mum be made redundant like time and time again. And that must've brought on some kind of stress. So I was like, mm. I don't want to be made redundant. So I joined the police service, get my pension, retire, die, etc. <laughs> you know, and then yeah, the, the uh, classic kind of, the classic kind of, um, you know, school government job treadmill, right? Yeah. Yeah, you know, and that in the in the two thousands, uh, that was what it was about, wasn't it? Uh, yeah. Obviously, the internet wasn't really picking up, but then the the government ruined that for me, and a bit of trauma ruined that for me. So I, I suppose, in the last four years, I've learned to become an entrepreneur using mentors and podcasts and books and and everything like that. So I've learned it. I've learned those skills. So, so when you say the government ruined it for you, what do you mean by that? Um, well, how long have you got? So I can remember, I can remember um, sitting on the sofa when they announced that they're, they're changing the pensions. Uh, you know, you're going to have to work longer. You have to pay more into your pension. And uh, it it wasn't the fact that 
it wasn't it was about the money a little bit about the money but it was about the injustice that they they you know they had to, they changed the legislation in parliament so they After could how many years were you in service uh i think i was 15 years in or something in that but they so when that happens you basically signed up to something believing this was for life yeah and then and you were all set right and you you managed to in your mind eliminate all risk yeah financial risk security risk safety risk from your bang right and then and then you suddenly had a realization shit <laughs> you know actually i don't have all the control i thought over this risk and 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 whatever people say, they can just take that and just chuck more risk on you at any point. They can change what they're what they're saying, even the government, right? Yeah. That's really fascinating. And and now you're in a position where you run your own business. Are you happier now that you run your own business? Yeah, definitely. I'm making so yeah. it's almost like it's almost like the government did you a favor. Well, yeah, in a way, yeah. And and I'm now passing, you know, as much of that information on to my friends that are still in those government jobs, going, there's a different lifestyle out there. Um, but then here's a, here's a question for you. Here's a question for you. Do you feel that your life as a as a police officer and what you were doing is security, finance, everything else, based on what you've been through, is more risky or less risky than what you're doing right now as an entrepreneur? Well, I did um, eight years as a firearms officer, so it was more, yeah, definitely more the more risk and the um, risk reward was completely out of kilter. But I mean, I mean, t- take away the safety element of like health, in terms in terms of in terms of how you are approaching that, right? And and this this the reason I'm like quizzing you on this is because it might be interesting for your audience as well, because it's, it's basically understanding where risk comes from. If you look at it like the fi- the finances and the money side and the the work life balance side, if you like, and the, the the pursuing your passion side, when it comes to the risk around that of losing what you've got and not being in control of it, would you say that there's less risk? Now you've got your own business versus um, when you were when you're employed by the government. Yeah, definitely, and there's definitely less risk, and I can see this now where you know electricity bills have gone up, mortgage rates are about to you know we come off a fixed mortgage next in 2025, so we're going to have to put more pressure on our business to earn more yeah. money so that we can we can pay that extra. Whereas if you're stuck in a government job like the police, where your income is fixed by the government, and you actually the last ten years have lost money year on year yeah there's there's massive risk isn't there so, so so here's the thing right when you when you look at it like what's riskier having a having a job or being self-employed for me covid taught me that being self-employed if you're good at it is way less risky because i was watching people left right and center being made redundant going on furlough with no chance of getting back losing everything and you know i was just sat in this office just creating new businesses and doing new things and you know, I had to radically change our product because no one could turn up physically to what we were doing in terms of martial arts, right? So, so I created three new businesses. It was just an exciting, creative time. You know, my wife was nine months pregnant at the time, so that wasn't that wasn't easy, and I was stuck in Dubai. But the reality was, I was able to to use entrepreneurial skills to create new income. Yeah. Whereas if you are if you were kind of um, institutionalized and employed by the government, both my parents' government jobs, by the way, NHS right. and army. Right. So I had no idea what an entrepreneur was until I was like 22 when I when I had already spent three years as an entrepreneur and I didn't really know what they were doing and what it was about. Um, but it's it's a case of you imagine you go through all of that and then they say, right, for the next five years, we're going to cut your salary or the next five years. You're not going to have this pension or that that perk or whatever it is. When you're self-employed, you've got you have complete ownership. Right. And this is this for me. 
ownership is empowerment. When you, when you say to yourself, I'm responsible for all the decisions in my life. I'm mm. responsible for all the positive and all the negative in my life. Something horrible happens to me that I'm responsible for that. Right. And I've got, so we've, we've got, you know, dozens of staff around the world. If, if I have a, a member of staff who gets loads of complaints from a customer, it's not their fault. It's my fault. And the reason it's my fault is because I hired the wrong person or I didn't train them properly as one example. Right. And the reality of that is it's so empowering once you realize, and this is where entrepreneurship comes in, everything's on you. Right. So imagine if you're, if you're a dog creamer right now listening to this and you're trying to build your business, everything's on you. Not getting enough sales, it's on you. Not getting enough leads, it's on you. Not growing a business how you want to do it, it's on you. Once you accept that, it's not the competitor's fault. It's not the, you know, you, you, know, you, you, were, you had never seen entrepreneur, you weren't raised by entrepreneurs. It's not that. It's all on you. And there's extreme ownership with that, which I think is so liberating once you accept it. You know, and for me, that's what entrepreneurship is. It's, it's a fast track to extreme self-development where you understand that having full ownership of everything in your life that you can control yeah. has a massive influence on, on how empowered you feel and therefore the decisions you make. That's it. And, and it hit the nail on the head. I was talking to a lady this morning who was like saying, well, I'm not happy with my customer base and how they act and how they do that. And it's like, well, if something's, if you're doing the same thing, it's not working. It's down yeah. to you. Change it, isn't it? It's- who put the customers there and who's attracting them and what are you saying to attract the wrong customers, right? Yeah. If you, if you really understand your target market, you'll um you'll attract the right customers. So yeah. the, the mistake there is not diving into your um your your ideal target market's pain points enough. Yeah. So I sort of said, like, think about the people you love working with. Why do you like them as a person? And yeah. then why do you like them as a customer? You know, and yeah. you're starting to build that that target market, aren't you? But it does. It all comes back to us. And the, like you said, the empowering thing is it comes back to us and then we have that power to change it, don't we? That's exactly it. You know, and understanding that th- that thing, more things are in your control. And the thing is this, right? If you going back to the bullying thing, if you say if you walk into a room and you're being bullied by someone and it's their fault, they're the bully. What you're basically doing is giving them all of the power. And you're, you're taking the power off you and giving it to the bully. So now the whole situation is under the bully's control. So the book, Not a Victim, is all about empowerment. It's about saying, I choose not to be a victim. And so there are, there are several layers to this, right? When you, when you look at that, it's like, okay, so why am I being bullied? Well, I'm being bullied because the bully is triggering things within me that are, you know, traits that I don't yet own or love about myself. You know, you're tall, you're fat, you're thin, you're short, whatever it is, Right. If you don't fully own and love those traits about yourself, then you'll, you'll find a way to take offense to that. And then you could say, well, okay, what about if five people attack me? Well, then that's not bullying, that's assault. And that's very different. And here's where the victim mentality comes into that. Someone might be attacked by five people and then live the rest of their life like a victim and constantly scared of that. Whereas someone else might approach that situation as, I was attacked by five people. It's obviously traumatic. And... Um, I've decided after this point, I can make decisions to prevent that from happening, right? I can become physically empowered myself. I can be more streetwise, avoid situations like that and so on. And I think, you know, you go through life and so many, so many things happen to us, but not having a victim mindset is all, it's all around the decisions you make after something traumatic, right? Where you you say to yourself, right, I'm not going to live like that. I'm not going to let that trauma define me in a negative way. And so, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it, that for me is where empowerment comes in, right? And it, 
And I remember just having this kind of overwhelming feeling when it when it comes to why I started my business, just that I wanted to empower people. Um, you know, initially that started off with kids, and now I now I work with about 300 business owners a year where a lot of it is around empowering them, right? Empowering them to understand they they can do the things they want to do if they follow a set of strategies to do it. Do you find that people struggle to take ownership for their actions? You know, yeah, hundred percent. I think I think people do. People struggle to take ownership for their actions. Yes, most people who have a scarcity mindset in particular are looking to offset responsibility. Something comes in that's negative, and they want to immediately find an excuse or a reason for that. Right. And like I said, the, the, the way around that is just saying, that's my fault. You know, everything, just, just imagine going through your day and everything that goes wrong is your fault. Everything. And then just see how it goes. <laughs> a bit you, might, you, might, you might have a terrible day or you might yeah. turn around and say 10% of that probably wasn't my fault. It was out of my control. But the other 80%, which normally I would say is someone else's fault, it's completely down to me. And I could have, I could have made small changes throughout the day or throughout my week or the month, which would have prevented that from happening, right? I, I think I, when I'm working with my clients and they have a, a complaint or a customer who's dissatisfied, I always put it back to them and say, well, it's an opportunity to learn, isn't it? It's not yeah. it's not think of it as a complaint. Let's think of it as an opportunity. Or a member of staff resigns, you know, and dog groomers generally have small teams, so uh, one person resigning can be quite impactful on their diary mm. and on their business. But, again, it's an opportunity to review your business, look at what you're doing and how you're doing it and go again. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And sometimes the hardest things that happen to us in life and, and in business, especially, they can be the best things for us, right? Mm. It's, uh, it's, it's often the hard way of learning lessons, but that's the reality. Well, like my pension when the police being cut, you know, a few years later, I'm out and, and speaking to people in Dubai. It's, it's I mean, you know, you, you go through something difficult like that and you could end up saying that was the best thing that ever happened to you. Right. From a professional point of view, best thing that ever happened to you, Bill, was the was the government cutting your pension. <laughs> it's just reframing it, isn't it? And turning yeah. it into a positive. And and, it, and actually, it's suddenly like, wow, that's actually really liberating and, and freeing. Now that I, you know, now that I look at that, I'm like, actually, that wasn't bad for me. That was good for me. It set me up on I could you could have learned that lesson 10 years later. Right. And, you know, it'd be like you, you'd feel like it was such a waste. But well, learning that lesson as when you did, it's just they've kind of they've kind of bought you time. Yeah. You know, you know. Yeah. And I was actually um I was speaking to a, an ex colleague the other day, he's still in the police, and and the police are geared up to like how many years left, how many months left, how long till yeah. I retire. And now I was like, I don't even think about the pension. At some point I might get some money through the door, but I'm not counting on it. I yeah. no longer stress or I no longer live my life waiting for that. 30 year point or waiting for that i've got two years left just two more years so and that and, that, and that, that difficulty right of having gone through that is likely going to give you the energy you need to build something remarkable mm. and the other funny thing about entrepreneurship is this right if you look at some of the the people who are really glamorized as the top entrepreneurs they're typically they typically have gone through something or they're fighting demons right because you really need a, a push and a pull you need something to really run towards that you really want to achieve. And you need something to be running the hell away from because you're so terrified it's going to happen. You know, growing up with a, a dad who's an alcoholic or, you know, living on the streets or having a really rough time, you know, or, you know, in a, an abusive household or whatever, or, you know, living within poverty, that would be such a strong drive to run away from. You take an individual like that who's already got kind of natural traits towards risk-taking and ambitious 
And then you put them in a situation where they're now able to kind of flourish a bit more and they've got the right mentors around them. They're going to have this like seed inside them, which never wants their kids to go through what they've gone through, mm. you know, and they'll have, they'll have this driving force and people would be like, wow, look at, look at everything they've created. But you, you have no idea if that's a happy person or not. This could be a deeply unhappy person who's constantly running and running and running their whole life until they die. And they may seem happy at the, at the moments of highs where you, where you spot them. Um, but often I think in, in entrepreneurship, you know, that the, the, the things that make us successful are also the things that often make a lot of entrepreneurs very unhappy. Mm, it's sort of constant striving for, for something yeah. else. And I, I've got a mentor and, and when I join um, his sort of um, coaching calls, he's like, number one to 10, how, how good do you feel about your business at the moment? And, and I always say, will we ever be a 10? Because as an entrepreneur or as a business owner, are we always looking to, once we get to a certain level, are we looking to then move on? Will yeah. we ever, do we ever get, do we ever achieve it? Well, I, I, this is, this is it again, right? I think, um, you know, one of the questions you asked me was, was what is entrepreneurship and, and, um, what makes an entrepreneur. And I think, I think one of the most powerful insights I've had from that was this story I once heard of someone who had built, spent 20, 30 years building an incredible business. Right. And I think it was an Australian and they, they basically got to the point where they were going to sell their business for half a million pounds. So there they are in their apartment and they get the call right? They get the call. They've sold their business. The, the deal's finally gone through after months of negotiation. They've reached the pinnacle of what they wanted to achieve in their life. Their whole life's been building up to this. And they've made so many sacrifices. They haven't got married. They haven't had kids. They've, you know, they've, they've, they've just spent their whole life on this one business. Put the phone down after making a 500 million pound sale, goes to the fridge, pulls out a beer, gets a pizza and just sits on the sofa. No one's around him, feels completely lost has lost the one thing that they've been striving for the whole time throughout their life, right? Mm -hmm. And isn't that incredible? In the one moment where that person should just feel incredible, they've, they feel completely lost. And that was, a, you know, that was an amazing insight for me because it was like, if you, if you go through entrepreneurship with this whole belief and concept, like there's this one thing you're going to achieve, you won't, you won't ever be happy. And they did a study where they basically asked people who had a million pounds when they'd be happy to retire and step back, right? And they said, when I got two million, they did the same with people when they've got 2 million pounds. They said 4 million. They did the same with people who've got 4 million pounds. They said 8 million. And the reality is there's actually, there's actually a, you could actually look at it like, you know, an equation, right? Where it's like two times what you, what you think you're going to, you're going to need is what you, when you'd be happy. Human beings are built like that. And the thing that actually gave you the, the ambition and drive to be in the position you're in now is, is like a double-edged sword. It's the same thing that's going to, it's going to prevent you from ever thinking that, you know, you're, you're going to reach the, the summit. And so I started to approach entrepreneurship in a very different way. I think COVID really helped with that, right? I was, you know, 30 years old when COVID was going on, um, you know, one child, one more on the way in a, in a different country to home. I'd literally just moved to Dubai and I was just kind of locked up in here. And I realized, once I realized I kind of had more skills in entrepreneurship than I, than I, than I had been tested previously, I started to realize that I really enjoyed the game of entrepreneurship, right? I love solving problems for people. I love discovering people's problems and then trying to solve them. I loved using my creativity to sit at home with loads of pens and paper and designing ideas and products and services, right? Working on branding, even if I'm not as good at 
drawing the logos with other people or you know what I mean? And just coming up with ideas and using your creative talents to produce something and bring it out into the world and solve problems. And, and then I realized, you know, when I was on a podcast the other day, someone said, when would you retire? And for me, entrepreneurship is just a way of life. Mm. And I was, I was just like, well, when I'm unable to solve problems out there, I'd, I'd retire. When I, when I stop finding problems that I want to solve or I stop getting fulfillment from that. Um, and, and that for me really brings me into the whole philanthropy piece, right? Because, you know, charity work and philanthropy is such a fulfilling aspect of what I do. And it is for my team as well. And I think when you look at entrepreneurship, like a career in solving problems, rather than I'm going to get the exit, then I'll be happy. Or I'm going to get to this and then I'll be happy. A lot of entrepreneurs have this figure in their head. That, you know, I earn this or I save this much or I invest this much or the business grows to this much. Then I feel secure. Then I'll be happy. Then I can relax. I mean, you get there, the figure's not enough. As we just said, 1 million, 2 million, 4 million, 8 million, right? And the, um, the, the eye-opening moment for me was just like, this is just a career in entrepreneurship. And no one ever talks about it like that. Because you could buy and sell it. You could, you could create a business, sell it right? That's the first kind of pinnacle of stage. And you're just like, wow, I've completed life. And then you'd be like, what should I do now? Might as well start again. So you just continue this cycle. And a career in entrepreneurship is like, you get better and better and better. And you start off as like a, you know, a a trainee soldier. Then you move up to corporal, then sergeant, you work your way up until you're a general, right? And you just get better and better and you get better skills. But no one looks at entrepreneurship like that because you don't have these cemented milestones um, within that journey. But certainly when I look at the journey of entrepreneurship, I wanted to do something which was not just commercial, but that had a deeper meaning tied into it. Um, for, for a long time in the UK, we had run scholarship academies and um, scholarship places we were giving to students. So basically about 10% of our students in the UK are on scholarships. And these are free tuition for children who are going through financial difficulty. Um, we were sponsoring children who were the siblings um, or children who were terminally ill. Mm-hmm. So they had a, a sister or a brother who was sadly dying with, you know, life-threatening uh, terminal disease like cancer. And they, they typically had one or two years left to live. We would go in and mentor the, the sibling through that process, give them a community, give them something to focus on, give them mentoring as they themselves went through transitions like adolescence, changing school and bullying, which have the impact to, to shape their decisions in life. And it had such a massive impact on our team. We even had a letter from a, a parent. You know, we, we had lots of letters um, of children who's, who, who we had mentored through bullying, you know, um, adolescents through, through even suicide. One parent wrote in and said, my child was suicidal and your mentoring literally changed their life. And, um, and it, it, was, it was so heartwarming and humbling for our team to realize they were making that impact. And we didn't advertise it. It was just something we just did. I said to the team, look, anyone wants free tuition, Here's the criteria. You can give it out. And pretty much one in 10, you know, we just gave a free spot to. And um, I said to my team, I'd love to scale this globally, this concept. Um, And so as we expanded from the UK into Dubai and Abu Dhabi and then Doha, you know, 12 months ago, I started the Bates Foundation. And the goal there was to take the scholarship concept, which was giving us so much fulfillment locally and scaling that globally. Right. And this is where the whole... Um, working with thousands of kids in developing countries came from. So I, I hired my dad as a COO of the charity. So he came on board, left the army. He was working for an army charity, left that, joined this charity, and he's been helping me build it from scratch. And, you know, he's now backpacking around Africa and Asia and Nepal and Himalayas with me. So it's quite an adventure. 
Um, you know, our first club was 13 street kids in Nairobi in a homeless shelter where these boys, you know, a month before were, um, you know, on the streets, addicted to drugs and alcohol. They had malnutrition, so they're smaller for their age, even though they're nine years old. They wet the bed every night. It's, it's a really difficult uh, situation they're in. So we transitioned them for six months from the streets through this homeless shelter into full-time education, where the hope is they then stick at education because of the lessons we give them. Whereas most kids in their situation go into school and run away because they hate authority and they're scared of authority. And so it's, it's started with that kind of 30 kids in a homeless shelter in Nairobi. And now there's 2000 kids uh, just like that. And you can go to the, the batesfoundation.com and, and have a look at that. Or just, just find me on Instagram or, or YouTube. And there's loads of videos and stuff showing what we're actually up to. Um, but tying that into our reason to exist is, is so powerful. Yeah. You know, it's like, imagine if you, you're looking at, you're an entrepreneur, right? And you're looking at your year. At the end of the year, someone says to you, was your year a success or a failure? Nine out of 10 entrepreneurs would look at the, the balance sheet, right? They look at the, the revenue, the, the profit, the loss, and so on. And they would say, it's been a disaster. Or they say it's been really good. They would base their decisions purely on the commercial aspect of the finances, right? Mm-hmm. Revenue, loss, balance sheet, whatever. Now imagine if there was a whole different plane you were working on. So there's the commercial side to your business, but there's also a whole other metric that you work on, which is your impact in the world. And when I think about the word entrepreneur, really for me, it's about exploring your full potential to serve mankind. That's entrepreneurship. Being an entrepreneur is exploring your potential with your unique gifts, no matter what that is, teaching martial arts, character development, being a teacher, a school teacher, being a dog groomer, being a vet, being a, being a police officer, whatever it is, right? It's using your unique gifts and ability to serve mankind, not just yourself. But if we all approach entrepreneurship as this is the one plane of thinking about it, right? Success or failure based on the finances or the commercial impact of the business versus actual impact with real human beings who's problems you're trying to solve. I tell you what, you can have a terrible financial year and an amazing year from impact. And you'll walk out that year thinking we've had a great year, right? It's, it's almost like spreading your risk from the, your mindset across two planes rather than one. So that makes sense. So there's almost a selfish element here as well. So uh, I had to practice this word philanthropy Mm. (laughs) or what, I've, I've always I've always struggled with the word. If you if you talk about it enough, you get better at it though. Philan- yeah, philanthropy. Say it three it. times really fast. Some people have <laughs> never heard of that expression. So you know, yeah. um, it's 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 charity, isn't it? It's yeah, it's, it's giving to charity or it's working for charity or it's doing uh, something. It's doing something without a commercial interest, essentially. Yeah. Right? It's just like you're 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 solving problems without a financial reward. Simple as that. Yeah, and some people might be like screaming at us now, going, "Well, I haven't got the time, or I haven't got the money to, uh, to 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 do charity. I'd love to work with the RSPCA, or I'd love to work with a local dog shelter and give." Here, here, this is a question I get a lot as well. Um, I, I do a lot of talks on this, and that is probably one of the biggest questions. Mm. I haven't got enough money to pay myself, let alone donate. Yeah. Fair enough. So don't donate, right? You can't you can't build a charity and impact loads of lives. Unless you've got a really, you need, you need money, you need influence, right? If you want to impact loads of lives through, through philanthropy, you need money and you need influence. To get that, you either need a, a very successful business 
or you need a lot of, um, you know, brilliant network, right? So that's massive change in charity and so on. But as a business owner, you have a voice. So as a business owner, you have a community, you have a voice. It's, it's actually remarkably easy to summon your community towards a good cause, to tie yourself to something. So you could tie your sales to something. Um, you could say that for every, every um, uh, give, give an example of a, of a kind of product we're dog grooming. Well, for every um, dog groom we sell, so every every customer. So for every, every time we groom a dog, we we give a day's worth of food to a homeless dog or, or dog in a homeless shelter in India, right? We've got a massive um, dog issue here in Dubai. There's more homeless dogs in the street than ever before. Now, if you imagine you're working with all your customers care deeply about dogs enough to get the haircut, right? Mm-hmm. And they typically absolutely love them and it's like their child, right? And if you really dig into that, because so many um, pet owners I know, they treat their dogs like like children, like humans, because they love them so much, right? And so the way I see it is you can, you can tap into something far more emotive if you were to say, and it could cost you one pound to feed a dog for a day in India, right? And it's very, you get a B1G1 or something and you'll find dog shelters, whatever it is. Now imagine every time someone pays you, what's what typical price for a, for a dog grooming in the UK? Well, let's, let's go um, 50 pounds for, on average. Cool. Let's say for every, every time someone um, pays 50 quid for a dog grooming session, you donate a whole, whole week or a whole day's worth of food to a stray dog in, in, in India or Asia, wherever it is, right? You can even up your prices by one pound, no one will notice. And then they, they, they leave the dog grooming session, their dog's happy, and you've also had a card saying, we've just donated um, a whole day worth of food. Thank you for, thank you for believing in our cause. We, we believe that you know, pets should be looked after to a high level around the world. Uh, they're, they're sentient beings. This is, this is what we believe. And you, know, you, could, you could really work on it to a degree where you really hit the heartstrings. Now, here's the thing. People might look at that and be like, well, that's a business move because you're, you're basically saying you know, you're, you're trying to get customers in by saying we need charity. So what? At the end of the day, if you're like, it could be a business move. You're generating more revenue, but you're spending more of that revenue on looking after stray dogs in the world. You're right? still meeting your aims, aren't you? You're still, you're this still. Is, this is it. So this is the other thing people say, oh, I can't afford to do that. Well, hold on. Now imagine you've got this other plane of existence, the commercial side and the, and the, the charity side, the philanthropy side. Now imagine the charity side actually influences and grows your business. You become known as the dog grooming um, business that, that is saving stray dogs. And now you can say, look, let's just say, let's just say you do a, you do a hundred um, of these, um, you know, dog grooming sessions a, a year. What's a realistic number? Oh, I mean, some people are doing sort of eight dogs a day. So wow, it really is. Kind of- okay, let's say let's say let's say a hundred a month. Okay, let's because that's a, that's an easy number, right? So hundred a month. Um, by the way, I, I once tried to groom my. I got massive respect, by the way, for dog groomers because I once tried to groom my own dog. It took me about two hours and I realized I needed the professional. Uh, my dog was very happy with it, getting treats the whole time, but yeah. it was a complete mess by the end. So ever since then, we've just, we've definitely outsourced it to a professional. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I've got no picture evidence, but it wasn't, it wasn't a pretty sight. Uh, it, was, it looked a bit like I, I'd cut my own hair. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> but um, if you imagine on the kitchen table, but if you imagine, you know, for every, for every dog that you groom, you donate a day's worth of food, to a dog in a stray dog in India. After a month, you can say every month we donate um, food to a hundred stray dogs. We feed a hundred stray dogs every month. You then become known as that, right? 
that becomes your kind of USP. You're out there in the world changing things. And then as, you know, as, as this grows and develops, you can start to pour more of your time and effort and energy into it. Um, and so that's what I've done. We started off with scholarship stuff, which didn't cost us money more than, more than the uniforms and the kit and that sort of stuff. But it was easy for us to implement in our business. And as we grew, you know, now I spend more money on charity than I do on living expenses, even though I live in Dubai. Mm-hmm. And I'm able to do that because I built a commercially successful business on one pain, right? On one plane, sorry. So now I'm building the other plane so I can have even more fulfillment in my life. Um, but you can implement it straight away. It's so easy to do nowadays to do that, right? I really like the, the scholarship idea. And, and for those um, dog groomers that offer a, a training school, you know, dog grooming, when you, when you, once you've learned how to, to groom dogs, groom animals, groom pets, it's a skill for life, which can set you up uh, as an entrepreneur because you can set up your own business or you can go and work for someone. So if you're running a dog grooming school, the, the scholarship idea is just awesome. You know, taking a yeah. 16-year-old who – because again, it's a practical skill. Whenever, whenever we we employ anyone within our business, we never look at their academic achievements. You know, yeah. we just we're interested in their values. We're interested in the fact that they can learn. And uh, because it's a it's a physical it's a physical skill. It's not as you as you'll fi- found out. <laughs> yeah, totally. And and the, the other thing is this: um, we work with a lot of children, and uh, I was having a fascinating conversation with an equestrian who 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 works with um, special needs kids with. Uh, horses, right? And when you when you have certain certain children on the spectrum, whatever, who work with animals, they they're really learning to care for things, and they have this. They, there's this incredible bond which they can then create. And um, one of the things you could do is you could really focus on employing people with special needs to help help you with that. And you could say, look, we believe that by by you know working with children or or adults on the spectrum, they can work with children, they can work with uh, with animals in a really beneficial way, which which does A, B, and C, has these benefits. And you could be, you could, you could literally base your employment on that. That's another way of giving back and philanthropy, right? You're you're being known as someone who does that. And you and you see a lot of businesses doing that, which is pretty powerful. Yeah. I was just um how do you deal with uh, I don't know if this is a quite is a bit negative, but when you when you give these scholarships to to children, and how do you deal with any sort of uh, kickback where there's they don't take it up, they don't fulfil their potential, and frustration, I suppose. Do you do you see frustration in that you've been given such an opportunity and you've not you've not taken made the most of it with the scholarships or yeah with the scholarships if you're if you're training someone or do you see that they always sort of they we, always we, do you know what we the scholarships have just been. I've never had that. Right. Right. Like, like I've, I've, I mean, obviously the scholarships we now, we now work with are just such extreme cases. It's, you know, I, I feel like, but I mean, I feel like our work is just so. Um, Maybe it comes back to us. Impactful. Do you know what I mean? And, and there's no, there's no reason they would ever feel that way. They would just yeah. want to do it. You know, it's such a, an amazing experience for them. Um, but other, other children who, who have got it, you know, they've got it in front of them. They've, they've been given everything by their parents and, and they're not, you know, using it but it's, it's you know it's often it's often down to the parents and how much the parents want to lean in versus the child do you know what i mean yeah i was just thinking yeah. if you're a dog grooming training academy or a school and you want to take on the idea of scholarships for underprivileged um teenagers you know yeah. they're out of gccs with nothing and don't know what to do next and you say oh well, we can offer you we can teach you to to yeah. dog groom. i think some of the comments would be like well they probably won't put an effort in or or uh yeah yeah, I mean, I mean, you can you can have the best um, will in the world to help people, right? And if you know if they're not interested, 
then they're not interested. For you, this is the most incredible opportunity ever. For them, it could just be like, don't really care about dog grooming. Yeah. You know what I mean? So you can't you can't force an idea down someone's throat for sure. Um, but there's there's you know that that you would you would need to have a way in which people would apply yeah. and be really into it, and then you would interview them. I wouldn't I wouldn't pursue a scholarship with someone who I didn't think or who I thought was on the fence, mm-hmm. right? The scholarship's got to a have they've got to be really leaning into your concept, and b they've got to um, they've got to kind of align with your values with it as well. And c you need to know that it's going to make a massive impact. Mm. You can't you can't give away something for free unless it's going to make that impact. Ultimately, it's also your reputation on the line. Yeah, and I think it comes all the way back to what you were discussing earlier about. It comes back to us. <laughs> and making yeah. sure that we select the people properly and put well, in- it's a classic example isn't it I mean, you, yeah. you imagine oh i've given all these scholarships out no one seems to care whose fault yeah. is it yeah it's ours <laughs> you know we've not, not, ours. <laughs> not put the boundaries in place or selected the people properly yeah exactly <laughs> that's <laughs> awesome that's awesome so you know we've provided people with some ideas around how to uh how to to bring charity into their business and very easily as well, very easily. And then hopefully maybe it's picked some some of the big training companies if they're listening to this, the academies and the the, the schools to to put some scholarships in place for people. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I mean, scholarships or just tying your business to a reason to exist beyond making money, mm. right? Like my 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 reason to exist is empowering children around the world. That's it. Right. And so so right now, the way in which I'm doing that with the scholarships is taking kids from the from the slums to education to employment. Right. That is the journey I'm literally doing. It would take me 20 years to, to get this through. And um, we, you know, we we promise any child who gets a black belt with us a job. So I'm not got about 25 teenagers in the UK who've got black belts with us over the last 10 years and now work for us as instructors part-time. And from that, we then give people give children full-time opportunities. So we've just given a you know, one student a um, who, who passed the instructor's course there, he's been with us for 12 years. Um, he's now 19 and he is a full-time instructor in the UAE teaching, you know, the, the, the kids of the royal families around the UAE. Do you know what I mean? Like the, the opportunities are incredible there. And so I can't wait but from a personal point of view until like I can do the same opportunity for these 30 boys in Nairobi who, who are, you know, on, on a homeless shelter. Um, you know, we're currently doing a project right now uh, where we're, we're creating a world championships because we teach 4,000 kids around the world. Um, we're, we're building a world championships in Dubai in February, 2024. And we're taking about 20 kids from all these different uh, scholarship academies in, in India, Nepal, Sri Lanka, Kenya, and so on. And we're buying them passports. We're, we're giving them mentors to fly them out to Dubai. A lot of them have never, we've got kids who have never left the foothills of the Himalayas mm. or the inner city of Nairobi. They're going to be flying to Dubai to compete in the world championships. And so that's, you know, it's, it's providing opportunities like that and building it into your business, right? Building it into the journey that a customer goes on. Um, but, but ultimately, like I said, just to, you know, find a way to exist beyond making money uh, for your team, for your customers and for yourself. Uh, you'll, you'll get more fulfillment in your business that way. You, you'll be unshakable during difficult economic times as well, because you have a bigger purpose out there. Yeah, it's amazing to have you on because I sometimes feel as though I'm a bit of a stuck record where I'm always talking about increasing prices and making more money. So you're like you're like the balance. <laughs> you're bringing the balance to it. I'm all about that. I'm all about increasing prices, creating a remarkable service and a premium service, and charging the most in your in your in your town or village or city, and and 
you know, adding loads of value and, and making lots of money and making lots of sales because ultimately sales are, are people signing up to a problem that you're solving, right? It's like you're solving the problem and therefore, do you know what I mean? It's, it's, you should feel happy with selling because ultimately people are, people are looking at what you're doing and saying that would solve my problem. I've got the confidence you can do that. And so you're doing them a favor. A lot of people feel really uncomfortable about that. So, um, so yeah, we're talking about, we're talking about philanthropy, but it's the same thing for me. You know, I'm solving problems out there just as I am when I'm selling something, you know, I I don't, I don't, I don't kind of separate the two. I know I talked about the two pains, uh, planes, but one, you know, it's, it's, it's very much a case of they both solve problems and that's what entrepreneurs do. Right. But one of the problems you get, you're, you're solving for free. The other problem you're solving and charging a a, a large amount for. But they both cross over at some point because they fuel each other. Definitely. And it would be remiss of me to, uh, as we're on a, a dog grooming group, to not talk about dog groomers in Dubai and uh, yeah. the experience of uh, dog groomers in Dubai. We just quickly click this. Let me get off for a second. My experience of dog groomers in Dubai. So dog groomers in Dubai, very different to the UK. So dog groomers in Dubai, what I've noticed is that they, they have special made trucks which come to your house and they dog groom outside. Did you do that in the UK? Yeah, we do have mobile groomers here. Yeah, they're not, uh, you know, they, they people groom from home in salons, in home, and mobile. So we do so have. This like- is a. This is a. I mean, I, I've never seen this until I came to Dubai. This is a a dog grooming wagon where they 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 come in, they take your dogs, they put them in the car like a big van, and they groom them in there. That's cool. normal. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. okay. Well, I'm speaking <laughs> to the experts here. You guys are you guys are watching this? Probably like, yeah, we've been doing that for years. Well, <laughs> for me, I was like, I was like, wow. This is amazing. I don't have to take my dog there and pick them up later. And, you know, because it, it creates a more comfortable situation for them, doesn't it? You know, they're, they're near home. It's similar sort of smells going around them. It's the same person doing it every time. So you've got that familiarity. Um, and it's also faster for everyone, right? So so that's that's what we do. Uh, we've got a, I've got a Cocker Spaniel and I've got a, a rescue dog. So I rescued a, um, it, he's like a, a husky crossed with a, with a desert dog in Dubai. He was just left homeless in the street um, in near the desert in Rak, which is kind of north of Dubai. He was in such a bad state when we, when we found him through a kind of a, a dog shelter here. Um, but, you know, my wife was like, right, we'll go and have a look at some of these, some of these dogs. We had no intention of getting a dog, but uh, <laughs> we had two dogs. One, we had two cook spaniels and one passed away. Right. Um, and so we, you know, we went to, to look at, look at the dogs and I was like, I don't think this, I think I'm going to walk out with a dog, aren't I? And so I walked out with a dog. <laughs> never, go, never go and see litters of puppies unless you've got that commitment to. Yeah. But you know, the, the, the ironic thing is, I mean, in, in, this shelter, in this shelter, it was like you saw some, you know, street dogs who were just there hanging on to dear life. And you had some of them have puppies with them, you know, who were still feeding off them, hiding away in the corner of the room. And then we had this kind of husky, we hadn't lost most of his fur. We call him Wolfie because he looks a bit like a wolf. If you're on my Instagram, you'll probably see pictures and stuff of him. Um, but yeah, he 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 literally had no it, running out of hair, you know, it's like sort of scratches and stuff, just living rough. He was running around this this place, just winding up all the other dogs, digging and running around, lots of stuff. And I thought he's a character. So we ended, we ended up we ended up having him. Um, and then I've got Gordon, Gordon Bates. Um, it was it, Gordon Bates is interesting because we we named him after a gin festival. We basically went to a, a gin festival. We tried lots of different gins, um, and we, you know we had booked in to go to a. Um, it was me trying the gins, not my wife. There's a, there's a theme here, actually, <laughs> isn't there? So uh, we we went to um, to view a, uh, to see a dog. You know, it was our first dog, 
we got him. He was a cocker spaniel, and, I, and you know, after the gin festival, I decided to call him Gordon, so it stuck. But he's, um, you know, we, we've we've driven around the world with him. He's he's now lives in Dubai, but he's he's driven around, you know, fourteen countries in Europe, you know, all, all over the place: Bosnia, Croatia, Italy, Spain, you know, you name it. That dog's been everywhere. So he's got more stamps in his passport than most people. Yeah, um, awesome. but they, they're both very happy in Dubai, sunbathing all the time. They love it. And what did you what, when you chose your dog groomer? What did you look for? When you were choosing your dog groomer, I, I think my wife, my wife typically handles, you know, looking after the dogs and stuff. But the conversations we've had, it's it's always been around the person she meets at the door. Like, mm-hmm. what are they like? Are they really friendly? As they walk off with the dog, are they kind of like, are they just putting the dog along, or are they, you know, stroking it, talking to the dog, that sort of stuff? Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? It's it's. I think it can be a little bit nerve wracking, especially if you've got quite an anxious dog. It can be a little bit nerve wracking to be like, what's going on in that? You know, when I'm not there, you yeah. almost want to open the door halfway through to see if if they're if everyone's happy in there. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Um, but they it was it was very much a a case of finding a you know good reviews, reputable place, and um, people who have had lots of customers for a long time. And if they haven't had that, you know, just you know coming to the door and then spending the time showing you they're clearly loving your dogs more than they're loving what you're going to pay them. Right? They're they're in it for a reason to exist beyond money. Um, you know, you imagine, like I said, you imagine someone coming to the door and saying, just so you know, um, you know, I, I've, I've worked with 400 dogs, just like your little dog. And what I love most about it is A, B and C. And then after the session saying, we've just, we've just donated a, you know, a day's worth of food to a, to a, a dog in a shelter from your cut. So, um, you know, on that, you have a little card, which says that, and then a QR code where they can see a little video of what goes on. Um, and then they can share that they can share their impact with their friends and they can book in a thing. I think things like that go a long way. Um, none of the dog groomers I've seen have done anything like that, but it, you know, it would go a long way. Yeah, it'd be amazing. And you know, um, what you've just told me, the value you got from that conversation, you cannot get that over a text message or a messenger like message, which a lot of pet groomers do at the moment. So Yeah, I mean then it comes then it comes. Do you guys use WhatsApp as well? Like WhatsApp messaging and stuff? Yeah. 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 I- Try and get people to to go to the old fashioned ways of talking and giving value and and selling yeah. themselves and their service rather than just. Here, here's the thing, you know, like, like I said at the beginning of this podcast, we deal with kids. You guys deal with dogs, which are basically some people's kids, right? Yeah. So what if you if you were looking at it this way, if it was your child, what would fill you with confidence more? An email re- reply to someone saying, "Yeah, here's what we charge," or a phone call where someone spends the first two minutes just asking about your dog. What does he like doing? How often do you walk them? Um, you know, what sort of what sort of snacks do they like? Um, just because I want to make sure they're really comfortable on their first session. You know, do they like this treat or that treat or this treat? Um, you know, what sort of names do they like to be called, nicknames and stuff, so I can comfort them as we're doing this and make it a really great experience. You that would blow someone away. They'd be like, wow, why are they so they're so interested in the dog, right? And I think also that the interesting thing there is you can actually gather information and data so you can upsell. So yeah. you could say, right, well, you know, we've actually got a provider who does those liver treats at a discount. Why don't you go through this? I'll tell you what, I'll let them try them during the during the thing. And if you like it, I'll leave you a free uh, bag of them so you can test it out and I'll give you the link to buy it. That's, the, that's the entrepreneurial brain like ticking over there. Yeah, exactly. There's, there's, you know, lots, just see it as the more conversations you have, the more data you can gather, the more insights you can have and the better a product and service you can create. Yeah, Awesome. Awesome. Well, it's been incredible um, talking to you, Sebastian, and and thank you for coming on and, and speaking to our our uh, our group and uh, on the podcast. Again, there's so much we could be talking about, so hopefully we can get you booked in for a few more 
episodes, maybe. Yeah, let's do it. I'm sure there's lots we can get through. Definitely one on bullying, definitely. Yeah, that'd be fantastic. Always a, always a very um, good topic to talk about, bullying. So if people want to learn more about you and uh, and what you do, you've got your Sebastian Bates Foundation, uh, social media. Yeah, so there's, so there's the, the Bates Foundation. Um, if you want to learn about the charity, it's thebatesfoundation.com. Uh, you can find me on Instagram, seb.bates. Um, I've got uh, sebastianbates.com as my website where I put everything. Uh, if you want to learn about the Warrior Academy, you've got thewarrioracademy.ae or .co.uk. Um, you've got the Warrior Academy podcast, um, which I do all, all about character development, resilience, that sort of stuff. Or with Jason, who was a former guest, we've got the Chief Aim podcast, um, which is just really good fun. Us two just ranting about business, basically. Yeah, it's awesome. Well, thank you very much. And I hope you enjoy your the rest of your day. Thank you for having me. Take care. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. Please make sure you give us a like or a review to help people find it. The podcast is sponsored by Lowpay. Head over to www.lowpay.com to find out more about their payment solution.